Chelsea are three minutes away from the Champions League final against all the odds. The shout for handball. Is it? Is it? Is it? Fernando Torres. This could be the most dramatic story of the season. It's Torres oh! to give Chelsea a place in the Champions League final. The headline has been written. Welcome to the newest episode of the Fulham Broadway's Finest. Now, before I introduce my guest to you tonight, who I'm extremely excited about having on, I'm going to take a minute or two of your time, and that is to talk about the next big game, and that is called Fanslide. Now, if you play fantasy football and you listen to this and you play it, you'll be messaging me up saying, Chris, thank you for telling me about it. You are a genius. I will then be replying saying, no, the people who made the game are a genius because honestly, they really are. Now, Fanslide is the world's first in-play fantasy football game. Best thing, or one of the best things about Fans Fight, because it's got so many good points, is that it is game to game. There is no season long commitment like some other uh, fantasy games. Now, what do you do? You simply choose a live match you want to play, and this isn't just directly to the Premier League. There are other leagues you can play this in. And as soon as the teams are announced, you slide anything up to three players either side into play. Now, a game you can start playing this on is on Sunday. And why? Well, that is the Manchester derby. Well, Chris, why would I want to play the Manchester derby when Chelsea are playing? Well, I'm going to tell you, and that's because Fanslide offer prize pools on certain games. And the Manchester derby this Sunday is offering up to a £100 prize pool, which is fantastic. Now, you need to remember this game is completely free to play. There is no hidden costs. You're playing for free, you're playing a fantasy football game, and you'll be making money. What more could you simply want? Like I said, you slide three players in, but you have to actually think about who you're going to start because you can only use those players for a maximum of 20 minutes. One of the best things about Fanslide is the interface. It is beautiful. It is so quick and easy and just so understanding how to use. Now, on another app, if I wanted to know what player, where he plays position-wise, what his stats are, what he earned in uh, the last game. You'd have to click here, slide there. No, all you do on fan side is double tap the player and it will bring their information up. It really is as easy as that. Trust me, this is the next big thing and I absolutely love it. I've already had a, a, a big win. I just, I love it. Honestly, it's so good and I'm already addicted to it. Now, I really think this is the next big thing. It's already massive, but it's gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm telling you, you want to jump on the train now because it is going places and it's just getting better and better. Another fantastic thing about Fanslide is it has a live leaderboard and chat. So you can be uh, playing against your opponents, you can be talking to them at the same time, getting tips, getting hints, maybe seeing what they're doing, maybe doing the opposite. It, honestly, it's fantastic. Now, like I said, this Sunday, Manchester United beat Manchester City. They have a £100 prize ball. Well, Chris, how do I play? Well, I have put the link in my Twitter bio. So all you need to do is click that link and it will either take you to the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store, depending on what phone you're using. You need to download it, like I said, completely free, create an account and you're in, bam. Now, you also will probably want to add me as a friend. Now, my username is my Twitter handle. And if you don't know what that is, that is CFC underscore Chris underscore. I'll be playing all weekend. I'll definitely be playing the Manchester uh, Derby game. because, like I said, there is money up for grabs and it's completely free. So add me in the game, send me a message. We'll be playing together and we'll, uh, we'll be seeing who takes the money home and getting the bragging rights. So 
Thank you for listening. Like I said, go and download Fan Slide. The uh, link is in my Twitter bio. And let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Fulham Broadway's Finest. Now, as always, I just want to say a quick thank you to everyone who is listening. Uh, I'm getting quite a nice little following now, so that means more than you can know. And the uh, messages on Twitter are just just fantastic, so thank you very much. Now, I'm extremely excited to say that I am joined by Mark Worrell tonight. And I always say I'm excited because I am. It is an honour to do this, and I'm really looking forward to it. Now, if you don't know who Mark is, I'll give him a quick introduction. He is also known as Gate17Marco on Twitter. So if you don't follow him, please do. Now, Mark is a fantastic author um, and he writes books mainly on Chelsea. Um, so what more can you possibly want? And he also runs um, Gate 17 and he has just released uh, his newest book, When Skies Are Grey. Uh, and we'll be talking about that uh, later. But Mark, I just want to say thank you very much for joining me tonight. It's been uh, been planned for a while. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's good, good, good to be on the show. Uh, always happy to um, share stories. That's what we want. That is what we want. Um, so I want to actually start off with a question which brings a different answer um, every time I ask someone. And that is why Chelsea, because for some people who may not know, you were actually born down south, but I believe you were raised up north, if I'm right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, sort of had a, I, think, the, I think the word is peripatetic childhood. So, uh, yeah, my mum's Italian, hence the uh, Marco nickname. And my dad's, uh, or my dad was English, so... They met in London and my mum was over doing a study year abroad and um, I, I arrived, um, as, as is often the case in those days. So, uh, yeah, so my mum and dad kind of moved around a bit um, and then kind of sort of went their separate ways. So my dad stayed down here and my mum was um, in uh, near Manchester. So I kind of moved around as a kid. Um, as far as football goes, um, I didn't really get, I mean, I had quite a strict religious upbringing, so there wasn't any football in our family. Uh, my exposure came via sort of once a week on the telly and um, magazines that was bought by my mum when she went to the hairdressers on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah, and I actually, I actually, the, my love of Chelsea came via magazines and football cards, and I, I was just struck by the, the blue of Chelsea. Um, and I think it was uh, Peter Osgood on the cover of, I think it was Gold magazine, I might be wrong, sort of the late 60s. And, and I just thought, you know what, that's the team for me. Um, and then I had to wait quite a while uh, to, to, to beg and plead to get to go to my first game, which is actually... Uh, at Anfield, uh, my two favourite players were Peter Osgood and Peter Bonetti as a kid. And um, my, uh, I pestered and pestered and pestered my dad and said, look, you know, will you take me to a game next time you're here? La, la, la. Um, he said, OK. And he took me to watch Liverpool play Chelsea and we stood on the cop. Um, we lost 3-1. Um, we, we got absolutely hammered and, and neither neither Peter Osgood nor Peter Benetti played uh, because they both got uh, injured um, in, in the preceding week in a, in a League Cup tie um, away at Bury. So uh, Benetti ended up in hospital. He played bravely on. I think he had a kick in the guts. And I think Ossie uh, 
might have done his hamstring earlier. I mean, anyway, neither of them played. But the nice thing about this, and I do love a bit of symmetry in football, is that um, the, the first person that I saw score a goal, or Chelsea's goal was scored by Tommy Baldwin. Um, and uh, I, I kind of got to know Tommy a little bit. He, he's always uh, he's one of the players who's always sort of, uh, still at Chelsea, gets to the ground early. Um, and when I wrote my liquidator book about the 69-70 season, um, I sort of got to chat with him about that. And he was always happy to pose for pictures with the book. So it's kind of weird how all that kind of came around um, you know, after all that time. So that's, yeah, that's kind of how I got into Chelsea and my first um, experience of Chelsea, which was uh, a pretty sad one, really. Um, <laughs> and my, my, I think my, my dad made me stay to the end as well. <laughs> he knows loyalty then. Yeah, to well, stay to the yeah, end. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know whether he made me stay to the end so he never had to take me again. I mean, the next time <laughs> I went to a game, he actually he actually got tickets. Um, it was when uh, when Chelsea played Carlisle. Um, uh, it was about three, three, two, three seasons later. The, the, the new East Stand opened and he got tickets for the East Stand. Um, and we lost that game as well. <laughs> so, Not pretty yeah, much luck it, then. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, it certainly wasn't. Uh, you know, and, and by that, and that was kind of the the, the beginning of the um, you know perilous period for for Chelsea as well. So it certainly wasn't a case of um, you know whilst I was a kid. Yeah, there was the kings of the kings roadside, but I never really got to experience that at all. So. My sort of Chelsea baptism came as, as things started to go pear shaped. So it, when people say, "Where were you when you were shit?" Um, <laughs> you, were, you were there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, so I, I was never in it for the glory. Put it that way, Chris. No, fair enough. And I want to talk about Stamford Bridge actually because obviously it's changed a lot in the past years. Now I think my first um, time there was in about oh seven oh eight. Yeah. So. For people who don't know, maybe haven't seen the pictures, what what was it like? Because it wasn't much of a stadium at first, was it? Well, no. Well, I mean, my my experience it was by the time I sort of started going regularly, and and you kind of had an appreciation of these things, it was it was almost like a crumbling ruin. You know, sort of the the weed encroached set steps up the back of a shed, um, you know, and the broken lumps of concrete. Uh, it it really was, you know, kind of there was the east stand there, which was kind of a, sort of a, a testament to um, how how and why everything went wrong, um, just in terms of burning cash, and uh, you know the rest the rest of the ground was what it was, you know, the, the shed had the shed roof had holes in it, um, but it was brilliant, um, you know. You just went there. Um, we stood in the same place every week uh, when we went along. Um, you were miles from the pitch as well, but you know, is, is that when it had the racetrack around it? Well, no, it, it, the, the, the no, the Greyhound track. They didn't still race Greyhounds, but the track was still um, round round the pitch. So, you know, stood on the shed. You were quite some way away, and you know, at this time. They allowed um, 
the old invalid cars, the, the pale blue invalid car, three wheelers, they, they were parked there. And then I think that, that stopped. And then I think members of the executive club were allowed to park there for some strange reason. I remember rightly. I, I might be wrong on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was never, it, it was never, I think all football stadiums weren't exactly um, top, top notch at that time. But, you know, you used to go away to places, you know, I used to love going to places like Old Trafford um, or Anfield, you know, the big, big stadiums and mm-hmm. just to see, you know, how it could be and how, how it want, might, might once, how it once was. Um, who, um, yeah. Who- who did you think we had the the biggest rivalry with with back then? Where where did you enjoy going most for away days? For me, um, for me, Manchester United, and it still is, and I always tweet this when we play Man U. For me, it's still because they they were just a huge club. That, I mean, when they used to, you know, when I started going to football, they were taking like ten, fifteen thousand away, and I know Chelsea had a big away following as well. Um, but you know, United was a, a huge rivalry because you saw that in your own stadium. So when when United came to Chelsea, you know they they, they would you know literally try and take the whole ground just just through sheer numbers. Um, so that was always you know a big thing for me and impressionable as a, you know as a kid, and, and obviously spending time up north. Um, there was a time when you know everyone you saw had a United scarf on, despite the fact that you know people could support. There were four or five big clubs, um, you know, in 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 that sort of northwest area. Um, I mean, the the the, the kind of the the, the Tottenham thing um, was I don't know, it kind of grew over time from the relegation. Um, in 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 the seventies uh, and and the cup games as well, um, and then that just kind of became I don't know kind of a tribal thing that sort of just grew and grew, um, and I think it always meant more to Chelsea than it did to Tottenham, although that might not be the case today. Um, I think they've kind of brought it come come up to speed as far as the rivalry is concerned. And then mm-hmm. the other one obviously was Leeds. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, obviously attributable to what had gone on in the sixties <laughs> and, and, and the cup final. But, uh, you know, it, it was nice to see that one come back. Unfortunately, we couldn't all be there, you know, after a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it is sad, but, um, but yeah, I, I've, I've always been the same with Manchester United. My, my father, he actually, he says he doesn't support Man United, but he does. But he also supports Barnet. But um, I remember he took me to my first um, time at, at Stamford Bridge. It was actually for the for the for one of the tours. And he hated it. And yeah. he absolutely hated it. And that brought me so much pleasure. And I still think about it today. And I still see the pictures. And when we play Man United, it's also a bit personal as well, because you've got a family member. Um, but I, I don't think they're probably, they're still a massive club, but they're probably not the same as they were, um, I say, back in the day. Um, you know, a, a good few years ago, but but so you obviously started off as a Chelsea fan. Um, but then, so how did you come into to writing books? Was that always your goal? Was that what you were good at school writing? Or? No, not not at all. I, I, my my sort of entry to to writing about football came um, via sort of fanzines, um, and then 
I just had an idea uh, for my first book, Overland and Sea, which just weirdly dovetailed with uh, Roman Abramovich buying Chelsea. Okay. So that that first book was more of a travelogue. It was it was the story of the season told from the perspective of being at all the away Champions League games, and we had a run to the semi final. So there was kind of a lot going on at Chelsea, and no nobody had written anything um, quite like that. Certainly not about Chelsea anyway before. So you know, it kind of. It kind of People said, "Yeah, wow, this is great, Mark. Um, you know, what 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 are you going to write next?" Um, so it kind of just started from that, um, and then you know, I got asked. Uh, I got I, I did a book with a couple of other guys, uh, Kelvin and Parker and Dave Johnston, called Chelsea Here, Chelsea There, which was about the um, the first game back the. 84 season when uh, we played Arsenal at Highbury and Kerry Dixon scored that swivel goal. Mm-hmm. Probably seen the goal. Yeah. Um, and that was an extraordinary day, to be honest with you. You know, it's like 20,000 Chelsea supporters at, at Highbury for an 11.30 kickoff um, in, in the days before mobile phones and social media to get things organised, you know, for a first game of the season. So, yeah, I kind of did that. And then it's... Um, as, as as the, um, the the kind of publishing technology and the way to bring books to market has changed quite dramatically in the last 10 years. So I've just published a book by Chris Wright, uh, Blue Days. And, you know, we, we, we had to work on that manuscript quite a lot. Um, and literally, when we got to the end, and I said to Chris, I think we're ready to go here. Should we publish it? Um, I said, yeah, are you happy with it? Yeah, let's go. And it was kind of right. We published it on, on, on I, I did all the necessary things uh, to get it uh, technically approved. Um, and it was available to buy, and somebody could in New York could buy it and get it delivered the next day, which is extraordinary. So... You know, with with that change, uh, improvement in technology, it's empowered a lot of people to, you know, providing you've got the the, the technical know how, mm-hmm. um, to to bring books to market very quickly. So that's kind of how the whole Gate Seventeen thing um, has kind of mushroomed. And and you know, for me, I, I I just think it's great. I mean, I remember Chris coming to talk to me at the, at the fanzine store. One day before a game, I don't know, probably a year ago, and he was first thing he asked me was he was interested in writing for the fanzine, so I pointed him in the right direction to do that. And then he said he had an idea for a book, so we sort of developed it uh, at the stall over a course of a few weeks. And then I said, "Well, you got to start writing it now, mate." Um, you know, and that's the they're the kind of conversations that I've had with quite a few. Well, most of the guys who, whose books I've published, you know, I mean, Tim Rolls has done a couple of really good books about Chelsea's history. Um, but the, the books are sort of born out of conversations on the Fulham Road, you know, dodging the rain and um, trying to stay warm. Mm-hmm. And and for people who don't know, you mentioned Chris, who I've actually got on next week to talk about his book, but he's obviously part of, of Gate 17. Why, why did you start that? Well, to be honest with you, I mean, Gate 17 is is uh, it's kind of the end, the, the, the gate where 
I've got my season ticket where where uh, I enter the ground. So it kind of that that's where that comes from. Um, and then initially, uh, you know, I went down the traditional publishing route uh, for my books, and then I wanted to do a, a couple of things that were a little bit left field. I couldn't get any interest, and I thought, well, do you know what? What one? I just learn how to do all this stuff myself. Cut out the middleman. Um, and it just kind of dovetailed when doing that became a bit easier. And obviously with social media, um, it's a lot easier now to, to reach an audience, to, you know, to make it worthwhile. Um, when, you know, I mean, obviously it's still a hobby. You know, we're not, we're not talking about shifting JK Rowling units. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, I think, I think people recognise, you know, some of the books um, and some of the, the games and the seasons uh, that haven't been chronicled before, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, people recognise it as a as quite a valuable source of information for people who are interested in the club's history. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's you know, there's a, a really broad range of of titles now. I think there's over thirty titles in the in the back catalogue um, covering you know players, games. Uh, seasons, eras, uh, you know, there's something there for everyone. Um, so, yeah, I know it's great. And, it, you know, as I say, I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of, um, you know, mentoring authors uh, or would-be authors. And it always comes down to the point where if you have an idea, we can we can talk about it, but ultimately you, have, you, you the prospective author, has to sit down and read and write it and I'm sure you know when you have uh, Chris Wright on you on your show he will he will talk you through that yeah. process um but it's, you know it's quite rewarding and I think it's true everybody's got a book in them um you know it's finding something to write about and the time to write it so for people who might be listening to this and might be interested in, in getting into that industry or, or book writing what would you say to them? How how would they start that? Is it just opening up a Word document and just just letting your fingers type, or does it take quite a lot of preparation? And, and how long do you think? How long does it take you to from from start to finish? I think it's it's all about having a you you need an idea and you need a structure. I mean, the interesting thing about writing about football, um, you know, it, it, it's it's you know it's all past tense and you can structure your story, um, you know, be it factual, fiction, a mix of both or whatever, but you can structure it. You, you've got a, a skeleton there of games, um, you know, and depending on how much detail you want to write about the games and everything else, but you've got that structure in place. So, you know, my, my advice to people is if you've got an idea for a book, you need a beginning and a middle and an end um, and just to write small paragraphs for each of those and then break it down again, break it down again. They don't have to be war and peace, you know. Um, I mean, I've written some books. I think I think When Skies Are Grey, which is the last one, is, you know, that's 100,000 words, um, you know, which is quite a weighty book. You know, Tim's books sort of come in at 120,000 words. Chris's book um, is about forty thousand words. So, it's, it's it, what what counts. It's it's not how much you write; it's what you write. But obviously, you need to write a certain amount. Otherwise, 
you know, it's, it's a pamphlet rather than a book. Yeah. And I want to talk about your, your newest book, When Skies Are Grey. Uh, and for people who, who maybe haven't um, seen it or read about it, it's really, you're, I'm, I'm probably doing it on justice, but you're, it, it's following Frank Lampard's first season as Chelsea manager. And on a book like that, how do you write that? Obviously, because, you know, the season hadn't finished. Were you writing it game by game, month by month? And, you know, tell, tell us a little bit more more about it and what it includes. Yeah, pretty it's pretty much done that way. So the, the 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 structure of the book is kind of month by month. There's that, that particular book, the the sort of the the the, the foreword and the introduction uh, concern themselves with you know my view on how we ended up with Frank Lampard, the type of person he is, and why I believed he was the right fit for Chelsea Football Club at the time. So it's kind of like a historical preamble. That brings us to that point, which is the first, you know, the big kickoff, and then it and then it kind of works on the basis of, um, you know, my experience of the game, um, what other people are saying, uh, what people who I encounter at games are saying, what people are saying on social media. So to try and make it as inclusive as possible, because, you know, I, I think. It's important to do that. Otherwise, it's just one dimension. It's like my view and people's opinion don't doesn't other people's opinions don't, you know, come into it. And that's kind of not, you know, football for me is an inclusive thing. So obviously starting to go to Chelsea when they weren't much of a, a proposition on the football pitch meant that, you know, it was other reasons that I went to football and that's never changed. So, you know, I try and bring that out in a lot of the stuff that I write and encourage people to do the same. And and as a fan, what was your first impression, first take is when, when Chelsea announced Lampard as manager? Were you excited? Were you sceptical? I could see it coming. Um, you know, I'd kind of written about it in fanzines, fanzine articles in the past. But, you know, there was an inevitability that, either Frank or JT or both would one day manage Chelsea and sort of Frank got there first. Um, And I, you know, it was a mix of apprehension principally because Chelsea have a track record of, you know, dispensing with managers um, fairly quickly and fairly suddenly. And, you know, uh, Robbie Di Matteo, as far as, you know, being a playing legend is concerned, is Perhaps you know the, the the example that you know that 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 was you know it was tragic what happened. I mean, at the end of the day, being brutally honest from a football level, you could see why you know he was dismissed um, up to a point. But but just the whole thing was horrible. Um, you know, you just don't want to see that happen, and you do, and nobody wanted to see it happen. Um, you know, with with somebody like Frank. Um, so it was kind of like, please make this work. Um, so all of that kind of comes out in the When Skies Are Grey book. And obviously, you know, the way the season um, maps out, uh, you know, who, who saw that coming? I mean, you know, weirdly talking about first games, I, I took my daughter Misty to her first Chelsea game at the beginning of the season, which was away at my local team. Sutton United, who were playing Chelsea under 23s. Um, and she met Callum Hudson-Odoi that day, okay. which, which was quite cool. 
And then we were just waiting for the right opportunity to take it to, um, you know, to the bridge. And it just so happened that it was the game with Everton, which was fantastic because we won 4-0. But it also happened to be the last game before, um, you know, before COVID really took hold and uh, and football was, was, well, shut down for a period of time and then came back, um, you know, with Project Restart behind closed doors. So kind of all of that is encapsulated in the book, which kind of, you know, you know, I'm not plugging it for, for that reason, but it, you know, it's it's a, it's a season like no other, and you know, even even though it's different this season in terms of the way the season started, um, it's not, you know, nothing will ever be like what we experienced just as human beings um, th- throughout the pandemic. So it kind of goes into. There's quite a lot of detail, um, you know, as as that kind of that whole thing snowballs, um, which you know, hopefully people find interesting. Yeah, one hundred percent. And just backtracking a little bit, you uh, mentioned Roberto Di Matteo, obviously, you know, manager of one of the best, if not the best, night of Chelsea Football Club. Yeah. And I mean, how long have you been supporting Chelsea now? Do you think? How long have you been supporting Chelsea? Me. Yeah. Um. I, w- I would say, well, f- 50 years, uh, but in terms of sort of diehard week in, week out stuff, um, I'd say 40. So in, in that time, I'm assuming yeah. you've probably seen quite a few matches. Yeah. What would you say the lowest but the highest moment of your of your fan career, shall we say, has been? Lows and highs. Um, I think um, the, the relegation... At the tail end of the eighties, hurt um, more than the ones in the seventies. But I think I was a lot more engaged as a supporter then. Um, the the four nil cuffing by Man United in the ninety four Cup final hurt. I think I and and also I don't know. If, I was in Moscow and that game. You know, to lose that way. It was pouring down with rain, the same as it was in '94. <clears throat> same opposition, Man United, which sort of goes back to that Man United thing yeah. from my days as a kid. Um, I, I, I really didn't enjoy that at all. Uh, you know, it, it was there was just nothing good about it to lose a game that was played in two da- over two days. It was like two in the morning or whatever when we got out of the Luzniki. Um yeah, so I think those three, if I had to pick one, I'd probably say Moscow, but that's probably because it's closer in my in my memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was just a horrible way to lose a game, you know, obviously the JT penalty, um, all of that. Yeah, so I'd yeah. probably go with that one from personal experience. Thinking about that now makes me... A little bit upset, so uh, I'll have to have to drink a few beers tonight to, to forget about that. But what, then, what would you say your, your highest one is? Obviously, you know, there's the obvious, the Champions yeah, I mean, League, and, and that might be you know, the, the ob- Yeah, I mean, the obvious one, you know, in the same way that being in Moscow was um, a horrible experience to lose that way. You know, being in Munich, which is kind of the redemption for for Drogba, obviously. Um, you know, being in Munich to to, to witness that triumph firsthand was was extraordinary 
think maybe also um, Bolton away 2005 when we won the league yeah. for the first time in my lifetime. Um, you know, that, that, that was a special time purely because you never, you know, just something that never entered my head as a supporter coming into supporting Chelsea in the time frame that I did. Just really never expected that to happen. Mm. Um, so, that, you know, those two events were, were pretty special. But, you know, there, there's quite a few, you know, just sort of fan, more fan-based experiences. I mean, it's funny, you know, we were talking about Leeds earlier. I was um, I went to Ellen Road for that League Cup tie when we won five one. Um, I think that was the year after we won the Champions League, and that you know that was just a crazy ex- you know crazy experience um, to 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 uh, to enjoy and look back on. But I, I don't think I'd be surprised if um, I'll always remember Munich um, longer. You know, in, in many years. In many years to come, and I've I've never actually spoken to anyone who who got tickets to to go to Munich. So, what was that like? You know, the the day building up to it. Are you are you nervous or are you just enjoying it? Well, we we um, we decided uh, we got tickets, and then four of us decided, or one of the lads decided, hey, I'll drive. <laughs> so, which sort of with hindsight was wasn't the the best idea we should have just sort of gone a couple of days earlier and flown in because we'd have had more of the more of the day itself so we were still traveling into germany um on the day of the game itself so we only actually got into munich and started getting involved in you know the drinking and singing fun yeah. in in the squares sort of around four in the afternoon, which probably was enough. Um, and then kind of, you know, leaving to go to the ground. I mean, you, you know, the whole the whole thing with Bayern, because there's quite a bit of a rivalry there, you know, and their sort of lads were wandering around the streets saying, who the fuck is Chelsea London? They always just call us <laughs> Chelsea London, which, which always made me laugh. Um, Sounds a bit bizarre. Yeah, so, you know, it was kind of, um, there was that rivalry there and just the fact that we were going to play them in their own backyard. Um, and then, you know, the display, the the the, the um, unsupokal thing, um, the, the display before the game, you know, and you're thinking, oh, so arrogant. You know, if only, you know, and nobody was... You know, as, as a Chelsea support, you always think there's a chance. As a football support, you always think there's a chance. But I, I remember going to Moscow and thinking, we're going to win this. And I didn't go to Munich thinking, we're going to win this. I think I, I thought we've got a chance. Um, and, you know, we're Chelsea and we'll, we'll, we'll enjoy it, whatever. Um, but the way, you know, to win in that way, um, and just to, you know, obviously we were up the other end of the ground to, to see um, Drogba peeling away, yeah. um, you know, running towards his, I mean, it's just, 
that's why you go to football, you know, and, and, and anybody who's, who's, who was at that game will, will tell you the same story. Uh, well, when Muller scored in the 83rd minute, did you just think, that's it, no chance now? I, you know what, I, I coined a phrase, glorious unpredictability, a, lot, a long time ago. And, and I, you know, I live by that ethos that there's always a chance. Um, but I must admit, you know, I thought, this isn't this isn't this isn't looking good now. Um, but you know, you never never give up hope. Never give up hope as a Chelsea supporter. True, very very true. So coming into the present day, Lampard in his second season at Chelsea, and you yeah. you said earlier uh, the game is is a matter of opinions. Obviously, Lampard. I don't know if you saw on Twitter, uh, but the start of the season was getting quite a bit of stick, and yeah, quite yeah. a few people were calling for his head. Did you ever did you ever agree with that, or did you think no, you're just no, being ridiculous? Honestly, I think that I think the thing with the thing with Chelsea Twitter is that the, the degrees of patience that, that 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 people have can be measured on a game by game basis. Almost, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, I mean, I had to laugh. You know, you lose two games and. and I don't. I, I mean, I'm sure, I don't think you did it because I don't think you had your podcast going then. But I remember it was a couple, a couple of people say emergency podcast. You know, Chelsea have lost two yeah. games. Fuck's sake! You know, I mean, it's just not that bad. And you know, what, what's very gratifying is the fact that clearly last season it was evident that, that you know there were there were gaps in the in the squad that needed to be plugged. Um, and what's brilliant about the way, you know, the team's evolved is, you know, the whole reason behind getting Petr Cech in, involved is, you know, he, he's got that gravitas in the game. He's got the connections. He can speak all the languages. Um, and boy, has he come up trumps, you know, this season in, in, in terms of, um, you know, getting, getting Frank, uh, the players that have, you know, enabled him to... Um, Fortify the squad in, in the way that he's done. You know, I mean, the, the the signing of Mendy, you know, kind of looks inspirational in in terms of you know you look at the you know he was somebody that nobody spoke about. Um, you know, it's it's quite interesting. So going back to the When Skies Are Grey book, but there's a big joke, running joke all the way through there about the ITKs. You know, the in the know accounts on Twitter that mm-hmm. oh yeah this player linked that player linked and it all most of 95% of it turns out to be Bruhaha. You know Mendy just came left field out of nowhere. Um you know everybody was talking about signing the Ajax people or Donnarumma or Pope um closer to home. And then you know Czech says well actually what about this guy? Uh, we're gonna get him and and it just turns uh, it just turns out that, you know, he's the right guy in the right place at the right time and, you know, fortifies the back line. And then you get somebody like Silver coming in, Chilwell, who's a long-term target. You know, all of a sudden, you know, Chelsea are, are kind of a team that everybody hoped they would be, um, but a lot of people didn't have the patience to believe could be, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, who, who's impressed you the most this season? Obviously, you, you did mention Mendy, and, and he may be the player, but but is there anyone else who's really impressed you? you no, know, personally, for me, um, 
I'm a huge fan of Reese James. I think he's a model pro. You know, what he does uh, in a, an, what can be perceived as an ambassadorial role, I think it's fantastic. You know, he's, he's just turned 21 years old. He's an absolute beast of a, of a player. We call him the Red Bridge Cafu. You know, he, he's got all the attributes to be a superb footballer for club and country. And, you know, I think hopefully, I know kind of, um, Aspie's sort of marginalised a bit now, but I think he'll get to the 400 game landmark. And uh, you know, I, I think Reese James could quite probably be the next player on the list to to achieve that. I think he's a fantastic footballer, um, and you know, long long may he continue in the blue of Chelsea. Best right back in the league. Pardon? Do you think he's the um, best right back in the league? I mean, it's an interesting one. I, I think. Um, Trent has obviously got a lot of a lot more assets to his game, and he's probably got you know he's got a couple of years' experience on, on um, Reese. But I think you know you can see Reese getting more and more um, involved, um, and I just think you know as as a as a player, I I think there's more to Reese James's game than. Than Trent, but you know it'll be interesting. It's good. It's good. It's good for England that we've got two decent right backs. So, um, so yeah. But you know, for me, he, he's superb, absolutely brilliant player. And obviously, there's a lot of people talking about Chelsea this year. Obviously, because we spent you know quite a bit of money in the summer. Some people are saying you know Frank doesn't need to win a trophy. Some people are saying he does. What would a successful season be for you? It's always nice. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bitter shame that we didn't win the FA Cup. Um, uh, you know, that, that was pretty poor, that game. Um, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? So we stumbled out of the League Cup on, on penalties to Tottenham, which wasn't, you know, wasn't nice. Um, the FA Cup, you know, it's, it's kind of the luck of the draw. There's no reason why, you know, with a bit of luck, we can have a run to the final, and it's a one-off game. I, obviously, that's the Chelsea's best chance. But then you look at, you know, if you look at the Premier League, um, I think Man City are coming up on the rails now, as, as, as we kind of thought they would. So that'll be an interesting game with them at the turn of the new year. Um, Liverpool, but Chelsea are right in there, and you know, it's it's going to be down to those games. Um, see you know who who prevails I, I can't even contemplate the prospect of Tottenham winning the league so I'm not I'm not going to um <laughs> I'm going to cut that out of the podcast because I don't want to hear it <laughs> yeah yeah so uh you know the Champions League I, I, I don't know you know I think we saw last season how far how far away um Bayern are as, as a as a complete football team from from the rest of the team's Competing, but you know Chelsea have improved. So, would I be disappointed if we didn't win a trophy? Yeah, but would it would it would it sort of detract from um, if if everything keeps going along the right path that it is doing at the moment? Um, I, I wouldn't be too upset. But you know, the fun the fundamental always applies. You, you know, the expectation at Chelsea is you're there to win trophies. So. You know, Frank. If Frank 
didn't win a trophy in his second season, that would be a unique thing for a, a manager under Roman Abramovich. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want him to be under that kind of pressure this season, but I think he would be next season to win a trophy mm. if he did this season. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think I'd probably give him this season as well, just to implement the squad. We've got we've brought a lot of players in. They're young, you know. They're, they're from other leagues, other countries. Um, obviously, we, we, we're facing Everton this weekend. Tough, tough game. I think Everton have got a couple of injuries. So have we. Obviously, playing against Carlo. Yeah. Do you think, do you think we'll win it? Or what do you think the result will be? Uh, I do actually, mainly because Everton seem to have wobbled. You know, if you'd have asked me this question a couple of months ago, I'd have been concerned because, hey, well, Chelsea weren't in a good place and Everton were, were beating everyone they played. Um, but that seems to have, you know, that early season further seems to have dissipated for, for Everton. So I was a bit worried about Carlo now, <laughs> who, who I, you know, who I absolutely love. I mean, it, you know, it's kind of that double winning season is, you know, perhaps because of what was achieved, you know, my, my favourite season, because, you know, it's not a one-off game, it's a season. You know, that was they were brilliant to watch Chelsea that season, as, as Frank Lampard will testify, having been a part of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it will be a tight game, but I think Chelsea are in the right form at the moment to, to at least maintain their unbeaten run. But I think, that, I think they'll pull it 2-1, I'd say. 2-1. Yeah, yeah. I'll, t- I'll take that. It's going to be a tough game, isn't it? But like I said, they have got a couple of injuries, but you just never know with Everton. They have seemed to have gone off the boil, but sometimes that's when teams are most dangerous. Yeah, but, take nothing for granted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All, all that matters is the three points. But I'm going to end it on a, a a fun question, hopefully, and put you on the spot. What's your top four going to be at the end of the season? Top four? Uh, I'm not having Tottenham in there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the top four will be Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, <coughs> Tottenham. All right then, we'll, yeah. we'll have to see, won't we? We'll have cough, to see. Cough and let Tottenham in. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's going to be really interesting because I think um, City play United this weekend, don't they? And Manchester I think, Derby, yeah. Do Liverpool play Tottenham this weekend? You know what? I'd, ha- I'd have to double check. Um, I think they do, you know. Maybe we'll put some holding music on so I can quickly search it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not... I'm well, not quickly look at my fantasy football thing. No, Liverpool have actually got Fulham and Tottenham have Crystal Palace. Oh well, uh, oh wow. Okay. You never yeah. know. Crystal Palace might do us a favour. Maybe that that fixture must be coming up soon then. Um... As long as you know, I just yeah, like you said, I just cannot see Tottenham. I actually, I don't think they could do it. You know, I really don't. I just don't think they have the squad depth. They play they play each other next weekend. Okay, that's going to be a huge game. A draw, a draw would do us yeah. nicely, I think. Yeah, yeah. But I think just with Tottenham, yes, I can't stand them. I absolutely hate them. But if they honestly get an injury, I think to Kane or Son, then they're buggered. Yeah, there I is think. a there is a there is a, um, a two man team element to them, isn't there? There is. Yeah, oh. don't get me wrong; they're doing fantastic, and it is a typical Jose team. But and then I, I think um, I think on Sky Sports the other day they said they need to give credit on how Frank set up against Tottenham because Kane and Son 
did not get a sniff that game at all. They didn't get a sniff, no. And you know, and Timo did wallop the ball into the back of the net. Very unfortunately, he was he, he was offside. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think you know, the, it's the Mar- classic Mourinho second season thing, isn't it? So you know, if they're going to win something, let it be the League Cup and nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> even that would pain me. Even that yeah. would pain me. I'm just thinking about my friends now celebrating it. But, you know, it's, it's the Donkey Cup, isn't it? Um, but, Mark, it's just been an absolute pleasure to have you on today, um, well, tonight. Thank you I very much it, for, for coming on. Yeah, it's been really good. And, yeah, like I said, thank you for coming on. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Obviously, hopefully get your book sales up by, by a couple if some people are listening to this. Um, so they should definitely go and buy it. I'll put the link in the tweet. But I just want to say a quick thank you to everyone who, who has uh, been listening to the podcast. Next episode, I believe I have Dan McCarthy on uh, Macca Sport. So we'll be doing a, a, a season review. So that'll be a good one. But Mark, again, thank you very much. Cheers, and um, I'll hope to speak to you all soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah. Cheers, Chris.